I'm Morgan Tioka. This is the Challenge Her Podcast. This is the Challenge Her Podcast. Hey team, it's Morgan Tioka here, the host of the Challenge Her podcast. Uh, we're doing a podcast today with a few uh, special guests of mine. Um, my mentor, Glenn Azar. Hey. Vani Palite. Hi. And Asako Ono. Hello. <laughs> also known as Digi. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, um, so Glenn runs ALR, which is our youth development program run out of the gym here at Project 180 and a part of the Building Better Humans project. And recently on the weekend just gone, we had our third or fourth fourth ALR. I can't remember how many we've done because we've done some level twos. Yeah. So probably closer to six all up with our level ones and twos. Yeah, right. Mm. Miscounting. Yeah, so we've done a few and we're just going to talk about sort of what happened, some of our learnings and some of the great things that we saw some of uh, the young girls do on the camp. So the camp's just about bringing anyone from year uh, 11 years old to 17 into a space for a three-day period and for us to give them some personal development, some life skills and we do that through outdoor education sort of. So we do personal development then we go out and climb a mountain and yeah, how was your experience with that? Who wants to go first? I said I wasn't going to talk too much but I'll go first. (laughs) So the concept for those that haven't heard Ayala is behind fitness mindset and adventure. So we have all of those elements. Like I think this was the best camp we run but Mm. I guess we'll come back to that. But For me, the biggest problem I have with the girls' programs is mums and dads contacting me saying, I can't send my girls on it whilst it looks good because they're not fit enough or it looks too hard. But that's because they only see a little bit of dog squad. And you girls know that that the fitness side is framed around the physical capacity of you as an individual fitting into a team. So if you're super fit, you'll just look for more work. If you're less fit, you'll just do what you can and everyone contributes to the team. That's ultimately what it's about. And that's built of a military style, which is my background, where people do what they can for their team. It's No one has to be great, but you might be really good at something physical. Someone else might be good at something academic, and you're going to need them at some point. And that's what we obviously do in the military. So on the camp, they're doing public speaking, which challenges a lot of people. They're doing an adventure activity, going climbing a mountain, etc. cetera, uh, or they're doing the physical capacity of dog squads, but also everything has an intention behind it. So we, they know, hopefully, they understand why they're doing what they're doing. So that's the most important part. The second most important part to me is who we surround the team with, which is all of you girls sitting here, plus Brit, who's not here. Um, but it's about putting good, strong female role models around the girls. And then in our dog squad, it's about just having good role models, male and female. So our members, be they athletes, mums and dads, other kids, you girls know everyone gets accepted into this strong environment and they're surrounded by people that are really uplifting, empowering. That's you know an overview of the whole concept of the, of the camp and it's been over 40 hours. I definitely think looking at the dog squad, something I observed was seeing the girls really seem to enjoy it, I think, more than some of the other groups I've seen come through. And I think because of the me- – you're right, the members are so used to having them come in now that they get around them so quickly and so early that as soon as they start working out, they, they understand that concept of doing their bit and then that's that's good enough always. And then the members doing that, I saw that on Saturday morning and that was like a very cool thing for me because I think previously um, – you know, everyone was a bit unsure and there was a lot of girls involved and then this time the members are just so on board with sort of our, our goal as a group to just make sure they feel confident and strong and in a really supportive space. So we were at the top of Mount Maroon, just Varney and I, before Digi came and the girls were all talking about that, how um, everyone was really good and they were naming people in their teams that were really strong. And like the girls are saying like, you know, Dylan's getting like 3,400 when he's pulling through the ski and I'm only getting 800, but they understood that because they said, oh, he was cheering me on, but I'm only getting 800. But, yeah, you're 10 years old and you're this yeah. size. or So all the girls got a lot out of that. I think having the Marsden girls there because we've spent some time with them, so they they understand the expectation of them. Uh, the expectation when you walk in here is that you just give the best of yourself, whatever you've got available on that day, and they understand that. So we didn't have to build rapport with them, so that kind of helped. But, yeah, I think our members – our members love it. They love having people coming in and these young kids, bro camps or ailers, getting involved. I'd be 
keen for your listeners to hear from Varney's point of view because it's her first time coming on the camp. So as a first-timer, Varney, like, you know, what was your overall experience? What stood out for you? What's, I don't know, like, what was your take on the whole thing? And and I'm just to be really clear, I don't ask people to pump up our programs because I'm happy with what we deliver, but I'm always interested in your first ever perception of what it was like. Yeah, I really love the camp. I thought um, watching the girls grow from when they first walked through that door and then seeing the people that they came that came out of the camp and leaving with their parents, it was really exciting to see that transformation. And that was only within the space of 48 hours. So I would love to see these girls continue to keep coming back to see how they could develop because I think it's really important that they learn a lot of the life lessons that were on there. And I spent a lot of time mostly driving to Mount Maroon and back with the younger girls. And it was really interesting listening to them psych themselves up so much about climbing up the mountain and you know they're in the car pretty much nearly in tears going I don't want to do this like can you just turn the car around and I was like no like it's gonna be fine like it'll be so worth it and then you know you saw the girls like the youngest girls Erica and Lacey like absolutely towering up this mountain ahead of the girls and you know that really motivated the older girls to be like well if those young girls can do it then I can do it um which was really cool because then at the end of it they sat there and I asked them I was like how do you feel like do you feel a sense of accomplishment you were able to do this? And they all sat there and like, yeah, I'm really proud of myself for doing this. And then listening to them get up and speak about what their highlight was and what their one positive thing was. A lot of the girls said it was the life lessons they learned that Glenn was talking about. And for me, that was a big part as well. Like I'm 26 years old, but there's still a lot I need to learn. So even when Glenn was speaking, I was like just really captivated because a lot of those I feel like still applies now to a 26-year-old the same as it does to a 10. Yeah, it's... Like the whole whole thing is powerful. We get people that say, oh, you shouldn't put 10, 11-year-olds with 17-year-olds, but I disagree totally. I think teenagers are inherently selfish and that's not disrespecting teenagers. We've all been there. You're at an age where it's all about you and I'm trying to teach them that, hey, there's young people looking up to you and in this environment you have a responsibility to look after them. Now, some teenagers have brothers and sisters they look after, but it's not quite the same. You've now got these young girls who they were idolising those older girls. They're big, athletic, strong girls. They're carrying the water jerrys. They're, they're doing stuff that the little ones can't do. And so they do look up to them, whether you like it or not. Um, the girls all took – I think they all took that on board really well. They seem to really enjoy that side of it. So um, the older girls will take equally as much away as what the little ones will. The little ones will take more time to, to build that lesson in because they're babies. Their yeah, brains are still forming. But my – theory behind starting all these camps is I wanted to see if we could put knowledge and systems and the ability to cope with challenge into younger people's heads so that when they get to 16 and 20 and 25 and 30 I'm dealing in my coaching capacity with a lot of 35 to 50 year olds and I think you're trying to solve problems that they've had for 20 or 30 years what if we could give them some coping mechanism so the 10 11 year olds might not get it yet but maybe in four years' time, something we've taught them back now pops up and they go, actually, I can look for an answer. Or The other thing is when they overcome something like climbing the mountain, my belief is that if they're in the car saying, I'm scared of doing this, I don't know if I can do this, and then once they do it, I wonder if their brain says, I wonder what else I could do if I could do that. Yeah, definitely. Because there's a heap of things we don't think we can do. And now that I've proven I can do that, there's probably something else I can do. The teacher in me sort of goes back to the fact that if they could, if I look at Shah and Anna, um, Anna and um, Losser and Trin who all came on the camp when they're all 17 about to leave school, if they could have had this three or four years ago, it's just they would have had so much more opportunity available to them because they would see opportunity and because, you know, they're going through that adolescent years, they, you know, are so worried about socialising and fitting in and just dealing with school as a, in that social aspect that you really shut the door on so many different things you're good at because you just want to do what's uh, the group's doing because you don't want to, you know, step outside your comfort zone. So when you see like Arika and Lacey and those girls, you just think, man, that's pretty amazing that if we can keep doing that with those same girls, they're just not going to close the door on so many things that they might be good at just because they want to be liked or fit in or etc and I just see that and I think yeah if Shara and Anna and those girls sort of had that even though the change in them over the last year because Glenn has been coming to school and working with them has been incredible um, but if we can get them in you know that those years earlier it just hits that that social barrier a few years going through puberty and adolescence where they just really struggle with finding who, out who they are and their identity. Did you tell us about your experience? Yeah 
Um, look, on this particular <laughs> camp. <laughs> so um, I joined the crew a bit late. I um, arrived from Mackay after coaching on the 17s BJI team. Um, so I got to the bottom of the mountain about 9.30, mm. 9.45, and then Glenn met me at the bottom of the mountain and um, we got to the top just after 11 o'clock. Um, I thought they were all asleep, but they obviously weren't asleep. And then um, I didn't get to see who they were. Um, so in the morning, like it was really nice to see like their faces. Um, I set my alarm at five o'clock, hoping that I will see them at uh, sunrise. Obviously, didn't. Um, overcast and windy, and it was crazy. But I got up, and then I saw Trin and Losa get up. So I was like, "Oh, do you guys want to come up to the top?" And um, I saw Lacey get up, and then she goes, "I'll come too." And I was like, "All right, cool. All right, let's go up." She did not want to stop. She just kept going. And I was like, are you okay? And then she's like, oh, I'm okay. I think it's this way. Like, come this way. And I was like, oh, my God, this girl. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's so like 10. She was, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I wish I had the stomach. And here I am, like, you know, gassing behind her. Um, and then um, we spent maybe 15 minutes at the top. And then came back down and then saw, like, everyone starting to, like, pack up. And then I was like, this group of, like, girls are... Uh, great already um obviously i didn't get to see the climbing up part where um you know previously i got to see their true self coming up so i didn't get to see that but going down even those two is, are they 10 years old mm, like yeah they're just like sprinting down <laughs> and here i am at the back with like anna shah <laughs> trained and like ankles knees <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um but, you know, it was quite a different experience for me because I got to see the right at the end when they kind of, like, learnt some lessons and, you know, overcame some of the, you know, head noise and obstacles. And But hearing those speech at the end, um, I think it was Erica. Like, the best speech was when she was doing the final speech in front of the parents. Mm. And, you know, for someone that didn't want to get up and talk at the practice run, for her to, you know, step up and you know do a better speech um yeah I was really you know impressed with you know what she's accomplished and which at 10 years old is really hard to public speak anyway but mostly 10 year old they're getting Mm. up in front of other 10 year olds but to get up in front of 17 year olds yeah that's pretty cool yeah and it's a skill that everyone needs and not many people have yeah and they avoid it yeah everyone avoids it until they until Mm. you're in a workplace environment and you're forced to do it yeah and then you spend a week trying to work out how to overcome the anxiety of doing it. But if we did the work from a younger age, yeah. I used to teach my daughters that because they like anyone they don't like public speaking. I'd say always try and go first. And I remember Alyssa, who's my second daughter, who you girls know, but she got to the stage in high school where they wouldn't let her go first because she always would want to go first. And the reason <laughs> I teach them to do that is because everyone else is nervous too. Yeah. So you go first, get yours out of the way because everyone's thinking about theirs. But if you go in the second half when everyone's had their go. Then kids are switched off, they're mucking around, they're laughing. Yeah, they're, definitely. They're not focused anymore. So you want to get up, get it done early. No one's judging you because they're so busy focused on mm. the nerves of their own talk. So, yeah, but she got to the stage where they wouldn't let her go first anymore. But she did a lot of public speaking as a result and it was just because she practised. And people used to say when she did media, post-Everest and stuff, oh, has she had media training? Never. Mm. But she just used to talk a lot and she's really introverted. So you can teach anyone to do that. It's just practice. I feel that that from every camp, you know, we tend to take away something that we've learned. But what was what was something that you took away from these girls that came in this weekend? Just gone. Do you have anything? I loved when we were going up the mountain, and I know Caitlin really struggled battling some demons in her head climbing up that mountain, and I loved watching her overcome that because I was at the back with her for a lot of it but there was a period there where I swapped with Anna and I was like Anna you got the back and help Caitlin with that and it was really cool to see Anna take on that responsibility to help one of the younger girls get up that mountain and then I dropped back with her at one stage and the way she was communicating with Caitlin and the Meg was back there at one point as well and she was like just so positive and was chatting to them made them feel so calm there wasn't a point there where she got frustrated with them or anything and I loved seeing that because obviously, you know, Anna could have just gone up and done what she did and been up the front with the girls, but she took on that responsibility as an older role model to sit back and actually help those girls overcome that barrier. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree. You learn something on every camp. Mm. Even though I run, I must still learn something every camp. So for me, 
probably the biggest lesson out of this one was right up the front going up, particularly through that section on Mount Maroon where you're rock climbing, I had the two little girls right behind me and both of them, but particularly um, Erica, was saying to me, I think at least 30 times, <laughs> maybe 60 times, she'd say to me, how am I supposed to get up that? Where do I put my hands? I can't do that. And I never answered her once. Every time I would watch her and if she was genuinely going to struggle, I would solve it for her, I guess. But I didn't solve it and every time she solved it. And I didn't say anything until the end where I said, you complained this many times about how you couldn't do it and yet you did it. And the lesson for me is that particularly as a dad of girls, um, you naturally want to protect girls because we do think they're, they're our little princesses and they're softer and they're, which is not true, but that's how we feel with girls. And if it was a boy, you'd go, work it out, mate. But with girls, we tend to, whether we admit it or not, want to jump in. Oh, where do I put my hand? Put it here, darling. Oh, I can't do that. Here, grab my hand and I'll pull you up. I could have done that any time with her, but I didn't do it. And she made it to the top. And there were bits on that climb that were, at my height, were still tough. You know, those first couple of bits where you've really got to put some effort in. Mm. And even I was thinking, I wonder how she'll go. But she made it every time. So I guess the lesson is for people listening is, let them solve their own problems. And when they get to the point where they absolutely can't solve it, then maybe jump in and offer a solution, but give them a chance to solve it. Because if I don't do that for her or if her parents don't do that for her as a 10-year-old, she's not going to be a capable 20-year-old because she's going to always be looking for someone to help solve a problem she thinks she can't solve. But at least if you've had a go at solving it, at least you've had a go. All right, now I legitimately can't get up there. I've tried. Okay, well, now I'll help you out. That's a different thing. So it will stop her, hopefully, from asking for help before she's tried to do something. Because if I ask for help and someone does it for me every time, I'll always ask for help because it's the quickest way to solve the problem. Uh, And I notice this actually in workplaces with bosses and managers who constantly just jump in and do something because they think it's the easiest and quickest way is I'll do it myself. Mm. Give your team the ability to solve it and they'll solve it most of the time. Or they'll get it wrong, but I bet you they get it right the second or third time. Because how do we improve it anything? We get it wrong first, then we get yeah. it right. You fall off a push bike as a five-year-old before you learn to ride it. That's that's what you do. For me, I, I think it was uh, um, just the coming in and sitting down and listening to the chat at the start with all the girls coming in and sort of Glenn runs this the chat of what, what the program's going to look like and what the expectations are and, and the why and the purpose behind it. And I think it's a huge lesson for me. I, I was sitting up the back with Varney listening and I've listened to your chats a fair few times but it was just a a huge reset where I've needed it I don't think I need it I think I'm totally fine in my life at the moment but even just to be able to sit down and sort of go through those clear like purpose of what we're trying to do what we're trying to achieve and we're trying to give back to these girls and we're trying to make sure that they are in an amazing environment show them how strong and resilient they are you know as someone who genuinely wants to be around as a leader for those young girls I needed a reset because you like I get lost in social life and sort of um, not really being on the same track as being the best version of myself so that's the goal but I'm never really um, there all the time and it was a moment yeah and it was a moment where I was like you know what you've fallen off track of it you're not really you're not there and it was a perfect opportunity for me to reset and go, okay, it's time to go back and sort of reset and have a look at what you're doing in your life to make sure you get back on track and it was a bit of a rude awakening for me but that started it and then so spending time around the girls before you guys head out to the the mountain, that was just a really important time. I was like, this is what you love doing and this is why you're here and this is your purpose and you need to, you know, start making sure that you are being a strong, resilient leader for them this is your reason why so that was a big thing for me I think we all have to constantly be learning though uh, and resetting so I just did a 12-week online program that I've just built Mm. and the last module which will go live in October and the last module is called are we there yet and it's it's built off the idea that we're not there we're never there we're always evolving I think we're a growth animal Um, and and I'll butcher this with Digi sitting here but it's it's taken with this Japanese concept of Kaizen which my understanding is constant never-ending improvement What's the 1% different I could do today that I didn't do yesterday? And if you do that consistently over time, then you're always going to be improving. But we get so busy that we forget to go back and look at, you know, where I'm at at the moment. How's, where's my, like, I'm the same. A total reset. I look forward to camping on top of that mountain because it's a reset. And I get more sleep out there than I normally get. You're switched off from stuff. Even though we have our phones out there, obviously, because you need some contact if something goes wrong. But 
just knowing that all the kids have got their phones away, that they're just in that moment, they're dealing with their fears. Like one of the girls moved in next to Varney, one of the younger girls, because she was scared of the wind. And I thought, how can you be scared of wind? But, right, <laughs> it's the noise, it's the whatever. Like people's fears are their yeah. fears. Um, but it could be bugs, it could be the possums running around the place, they're not inside a tent. Now that little tent doesn't give you that much protection, but you feel safe when you're zipped inside it. They don't have that. Um, so there's all that stuff going on. And if we're not dealing with our own stuff, how can we help them? at the end of the day so yeah it's a constant reset every time I do that beginning bit I don't as you girls know who've been there a few times I just ad lib it I have some bullet points but what I actually say is different every time slightly mm. because I'm not I don't ever want to get to the stage where it's word for word and I try and adapt to who's in the room because obviously I'm aware that there's some girls in the room this time who've done some stuff with us the yep. Marsden girls yeah, definitely. I'm aware that with Vani, I've got a, a high performer in her field, but also first time she's done this with us. So I want her to experience something. So I'm actually conscious of everyone in the room. It's not just the girls that I'm aiming it at. It's all of you guys. I want you to take something away. Maybe I'll get an epiphany sometimes. where I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> but, I'll, but that works, right? So yeah. you're always trying to improve. What about you, Digi? Um, I think mine's the same as Glenn. So when we started climbing up the mountain, I think that was the first thing Glenn told me that, you know, two girls at the front were like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, how do I get up? But then Glenn said that he didn't say or, you know, give them the answer, like how you solve that. And then, you know, 100% of the time that they they got, you know, they got it. And then I like, I thought back and that's, you know, if somebody says, I don't know how to do this or like, I can't do this, I'll just be like, here, this is what you do because that's easier for me. But it's also because, um, so, so there's, you guys understand there are core human needs, so food, water, shelter. But then when you get outside of those core human needs, the other core human needs, one of them is significance. We need to feel mm-hmm. like we matter. Mm-hmm. So if you ever want to get something out of people, make them feel like they matter. So when people ask us for help and we solve the problem, we're fulfilling our need for significance. Yeah. So I feel like I matter. I'm in a, I'm in a leadership role, which is great, yeah. but sometimes we're robbing them of their need of significance, mm-hmm. which is, oh, I can actually solve that. And so I think while she asked me 30 times, and that's a minimum, I'm not even exaggerating because <laughs> um, she didn't stop talking. But while she's asked that 30 times as a minimum, that's 30 occasions where she proved to herself I actually know the answer to this yeah. or I actually can work it out. I'm sure in her mind she's probably thinking, why is he ignoring me? Yeah. <laughs> but I just didn't want to solve the problem for her. That's yeah. all. So, yeah, I think that's a, yeah. that's natural it that we have a need for significance. Mm. And then, like, you know, I thought back and that's exactly what I do. Like, for example, in my PE classes, if somebody goes, Miss, I don't know how to do this, I'll be like, this is how you do it. Or, like, even an assessment, like, Miss, I don't know how to write it. And I'll just, like, break it down and this is what you have to write. Basically, I'm giving them the answer. They just have to write it. They're spoon-fed at school, unfortunately, because it's the easiest option for so many different reasons. And then if I don't help, they'll just, like, oh, I'll just fail. And I'll be like, no, 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 this is what you do. And that's, you know, that's sometimes not how you do. Um, but that sort of shows you how powerful ALA is because you take them away from their comfort zone, you put them in an environment where they have to make decisions because they will never, un- they don't know how to process and problem solve in that space um, because they're not used to it. And so they've got to like sit in it for a while before they figure it well, out. I used to think it was us mollycoddling them because they're girls, but I think it's just that society's so damn busy that we are just solving our own problem. I don't have much time, so I'm going to solve the problem and we keep yes. moving. Yeah. And I'm sure as school teachers you would oh, do yeah. that. Let's <laughs> just solve the, solve the problem <laughs> yeah, and keep moving. As opposed to saying, well, did they learn anything in that process? What they probably learnt was... I've got to constantly ask for help. Yes, someone give me the help. And and I'm not suggesting you can change that at school because that's a whole system level. It's you wouldn't be able to change that in your sport, Barney, because again, it's a whole cultural. These are both cultural things Mm. that someone from the top, you'll never outgrow your leadership, needs to decide has to happen. Yeah, as a team, as in a group of teachers or your students or a group of footy players, you can make some changes, but it has to be driven higher up. Mm. And so. What I love about Ayala and Brocamps when we do the boys one is we have total control. We get to decide what happens, how it happens. Um, how many times have we had kids cry on this program? All the time. Yeah, and I yet too. I'm, I don't buy into that emotion and it's not that I'm emotionless. I know that I'm not helping them if I empower that emotion. So I'm totally cool with them crying but then still solve the problem because one day they're going to find themselves out in society on their own. They're going to be emotional they're going to be struggling and they're going to cry and they're still going to get the job done and that's okay that's that's what you're trying to teach them 
Whereas I know with girls in particular, as men, we do not like seeing girls cry. So as soon as girls cry, we think we've got to solve the problem. But we're actually teaching them now to rely on us. And I want to teach girls not to rely on other people. I think it's also hard as a female, it's so hard to not be compassionate. Because mm. as soon as you see a kid cry and you know you like being around youth and that's something you're in, engaged in, you just straight away like, you know, are that's you That's okay? why I don't let mums on the program. <laughs> and I, no, I, I know, but I've had mums who, even if they're not mums of our kids, who say, I want to come on it because I'd like to do that. Yeah. And I had a 10-year-old boy crying once and I was telling a couple of ladies who wanted to come and help on the program. And I saw this little fellow was crying and, wanted, and they went, oh, and I said, that's why you can't come <laughs> for a boy's program because he doesn't need that energy. Mm. He needs to, mate, you've got to solve it. We've got to solve this problem. We're out here. Because um, I did a boys' camp, one of the first ones, and the little fellow was saying, um, "You know, can you ring my mum and send me?" And I said, "No, like we're halfway up a mountain." But my mum said that you can ring at any time and she'll come and get me. I said, "Mate, it's not <laughs> going to happen." And then this other kid with him was like ten or eleven. Says, "Is it that you won't ring his mum or that you don't want to?" And I said, "I don't understand the question because they're the same thing. Either way, I'm not ringing his mum." Yeah. <laughs> so and I was the only person that had a phone, but they worked it out. And when he, and he cried a lot, this little fella. Uh, and I kind of felt bad, but I thought, no, I'm going to keep going. And when we got down to the bottom, I could see the lift in him because he solved it. He was a little fella who was overweight, which, you know, is easy. so he had an issue about that. He wasn't particularly athletic. He feels like very vulnerable. And as men, we're not really good with that at any age. Um, with girls, I think we're, as men with girls, we're a bit more okay with girls crying, but we do want to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I don't want girls or boys to mask their emotions but I, do, but I also want them to work through them. I don't want to say, when I cry, everyone stops for me. Mm. I want to say, hey, I'm emotional, I'm going to cry, but then I'm going to do the next thing. Definitely. Do you think that um, if we did this for uh, – Glenn was talking about this, I think, a few months ago, but for adults, um, you'd have the same challenges? I think the challenges would be – so we get a lot of adults who say they want to do it, but they're probably – one, we know we've got rights – once you're in control and so so if an adult goes the amount of times I heard the girls go oh I have to do it because my parents won't get a refund (laughs) 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 that's going to motivate you to get I'll take it but you get adults to go I'm not doing that like who would convince they would hold I I have this it's not my saying but it's a saying I like is that you get to keep all of the limitations you fight for so I'll try and coach adults and they'll tell you all the reasons why that's not going to work okay then do you like where you're currently at? No. Well, if you keep doing that, yeah. you get to keep that. But like, if you try to tell adults you can't have their phone, they would go, yeah, but I need it because. Well, yeah. that's not true. Because years ago, I'm old enough to remember when mobile phones didn't exist and the world survived. There was no great emergency. Someone goes, oh, what if there's an emergency? I don't know about you, any of you girls. If I'm in an emergency, I don't want you to ring anyone next to me. Ring triple zero. That's all mm. you need to do. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry about true. me. You know, I don't need you to ring my mum. Or, But that's how we feel. Like We've got to know about stuff. We've got to be connected to the world. I've got work or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, none of that matters. So it's just trying to teach adults that they can physically do things. Because adults will say to kids, you can do anything, but they watch mum and dad not do anything. Yes. They watch mum and dad have limitations, not exercise, sit in front of a TV screen and justify it all the time. And and then we say to them, when I was a kid, well, who cares? Like, if you're not outside being active or, or, you know, coming in here and doing something, I'm not saying we have to be athletes as we get older, but we have to lead by example. And if you're not willing to do that, Programs like Bro Camp and AL are perfect because they're surrounded by people leading by example. And all the kids spoke about that at the top, seeing like mums and dads in here and some people who are clearly athletes and some people who are overweight, but everyone was in here and positive and they all talked about it. It's the most we've ever heard girls talk about mm. it. And, and they were actually naming people in their teams. That's how connected they were to that group. They knew their names cool. already. Yeah. yeah was, like, as in, I mean, the kids knowing the adults' names. Oh, I had this bloke in my team or this girl did this or... That's pretty cool. And a lot of our members like being in here, but they probably don't fully appreciate the impact that they have on these kids. And I think, you know, we've all heard that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. I think as a society we've kind of lost that. And as a white Australian, we're particularly not good at that. You know, we're not, you know in this gym we're probably 60%, 70% Islanders. Mm. And that's the first time in my life I've been surrounded by that culture really since I met Jaden. And they're so much more connected to family and they hug and they touch and they 
you know me, I never used to hug anyone, and now I hug people all the time. <laughs> but I've just become realised that that's that that human connection's okay. White Australians don't really do that. I know that's a very blanket statement, but in my experience, yeah, um, we're getting that in this environment here, and I think it's spilling across into our programs. And I think COVID's taught us that people are missing human connection. Definitely. Mums and dads, if they're not separated, which is nearly fifty percent in Australia now. If they're not, then they're both working. So either way, they're not getting the full access. And if you're listening to this, we're not blaming anyone. That's just our society that we've got ourselves trapped in. But if you can find other ways to surround your children with good, positive people, then you should try and do it. Definitely. Yeah, and I, that was something that I noticed a lot, especially in the last day, was obviously the older girls, the Marsing girls, all Polynesian, and then the younger girls, all white Australians, and they were all ready to leave out the door and the, the Marsing girls are chasing that, being like, no, give me a hug before you leave. And they probably <laughs> felt really uncomfortable. But, like, that's just normal for us girls. And mm-hmm. I think that was a nice way for them to embrace the, the, the younger girls. Sorry. That was true at the start too, wasn't yeah. it? Because all the Marsing girls came in and started hugging everyone. And there's, like, little Haley and stuff who yeah. hasn't been brought up in that environment. He's mm-hmm. had some real challenges. Um, and she said, oh, she found it a bit confronting that these four girls just yeah. came up and hugged her. <laughs> and it was like, uh, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's how they are. And it's, it, they broke her down eventually like, to make her feel comfortable. But it's just a different environment. So it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. What do you think about adults doing this, Did? Um, I don't know. Yeah, they have the same challenges. Yeah, I reckon for sporting teams, it definitely. Oh yeah, hundred. It just makes so much sense. Well, like we've seen it with Griffith. We've seen it with yeah, the Titans. Yeah, the collective goal. Like Even under sixteen, Aspley. It doesn't matter. Like yeah. who we've we, we're getting. I was actually just talking to Varney before we came in here about the fact that I've never been to watch footy matches, union or league, <laughs> until the last eighteen months, <laughs> and now I've seen. The Reds play girls and boys. I've seen East play in the grand final. I've watched the Wallabies. I go to Q Cup matches. And it's never a culture or an environment I thought I'd ever be in. But the similarities between that and the military are really obvious to me now. And I would like to be more involved in that stuff because one thing I love when you have those teams coming here, you've, you've been in those. They're slightly different to what we do with the girls, but it's about priming them mentally and then you send them out onto that floor to do a dog squad with our members and they just eat it. They just go out mm. hungry because mm. I, I prime them mentally for it. And you hope that they'll then take that out onto the field or, or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, definitely athletes because they're high performers. The other ones I like to work with, and this will sound bizarre, my link is between athletes and real estate agents. Real estate agents <laughs> are really competitive. Are they? they love to win because they're all working together but they're individually focused on trying to beat each other. And, and so I find those two really easy to work with but then you work in other environments where people aren't inspired by their work which is nearly every job like i've say you get a group of no disrespect to anyone listening but a group of plumbers which i've worked with a lot and i'm sure people appreciate what they earn as a plumber in the trade but i don't know that you're passionate about people's sewerage or so it's not the same as doing personal development work or seeing young kids get up and talk that's it's a different passion Mm. so their passion has to be tied to being really good at their job so that they can provide for their family and holiday, whatever. There's a thing there. But the biggest problem I would see with adults coming to do this is we come with built-in excuses. My age, my injuries, my... Like, we can have all those excuses. But then I look at, say, an athlete like Digi's had five or six knee operations. Well, you can... you Your knees will be worse than, say, an average 40-year-old mm. who hasn't been physical. <laughs> but I'll bet you the average 40-year-old coming, oh, I can't do that because I'm 40. Well, yeah. Okay, but there's athletes in here that have put their bodies through way worse than you that are still able to do this. So it's a mindset thing. So they come with built-in excuses. I'm too busy, I'm too old, I'm overweight. I'm, there's all these stories. And all of those stories are real, but they're only as real as you need them to be. So that's that confirmation bias of, of confirming what I already believe to be true. Mm. But it would be beneficial to them all. It's just that you're not going to convince everyone to do it. But everyone thinks their kids should do it. Yeah. But I just think it all starts. I don't think any team or organisation outgrows its leadership and when you think of family your leadership is your mum and dad or your uncles and aunties or your older brothers and sisters and so it's no different than like for Varney playing rugby you're not going to really as a group of people outgrow rugby Australia itself Um, at Marsden you're not going to outgrow the Marsden administration leadership itself and you've got no control over those things so you need those people to and I'm not bagging out either of those organisations because I don't know them well enough but my point is that you can only do so much but in a family unit, there's mm. five people in your family, you can control that. If you're, mm. Even if you're a single mum or a single dad, you can control that by being the best version of you. Are you educating yourself? Are you 
seeing positives more than negatives? Are you talking about positive things or are you sitting at home talking about how bad COVID is and how bad the world is? And yes. and that sort of splays across to your kids. Are you dealing with things through drugs, alcohol, Uber Eats, sitting in front of the TV? I don't know. There's so many different ways that you can do things. But to get them on the camps probably a little bit trickier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I touched on this with Glenn climbing up the mountain a little bit and just with you before Morgs, but I think this would be perfect for, say, a team environment like Rugby Australia or the NRL, just purely for the fact that, like, we're individual athletes coming together to work on a common goal, which is to win rugby matches and whatnot. But then you put a team in an environment where you say you've got to get up to the top of a mountain, you'll see this epic view. And then, you know, naturally as athletes, we're so competitive, we'll probably race each other up to the top of a mountain. But then, you know, when Glenn adds like a 10-litre water carrier for the girls and says you have to get this up to the top of a mountain, I think it would be interesting in a sporting environment to see who would be the ones that would carry the shit Mm. for you, who would be the ones that would go, I'm going to sacrifice winning to get to the top to help Mm. you carry Mm. the load up. And I think that's a massive lesson that girls would be able to take out of this end sporting athletes. Because sometimes like I've been on team building, you know, days or team building activities and it's just really surfacey. Like it's not, you can't really grasp the concepts and like see the why behind what you're doing. I feel like here, the way things are sort of um, structured, you really have an understanding of your purpose before you do the hard stuff. Um, and then after the reflection's really good. Like I've been on a lot of camps with schools and it's just real just, you know, team building, understanding communication, et cetera. But they don't go through the head noise or the grind or mm. getting to that point where you literally are looking for every way out possible and you have to somehow push through. And my lesson was the only way I was able to push through was seeing someone struggle for me and that was the reason why I found it so rewarding at the end. But I feel like the current some of the current team building experiences I've had, it's never to the point where you're like at breaking point and struggling. And so it makes so much sense because when you put yourself on in a, on a footy field and you, you've got the last five, ten minutes of the game, you're absolutely exhausted. They're the moments you'll go back to if you do them like well well enough and consistent enough with your team how cool would that be if, for an environment if your entire preseason was made up of doing those things when you're absolutely gassed and you think you have nothing left and you can just see other people working hard for you like I just it just makes so much sense to me so this might be off track to Ayala a little bit <laughs> yeah but I'll tell you this like there's a saying that people will only believe the message if they believe the messenger so that means if your team's struggling and the coach starts yelling and screaming or the best player on the field starts yelling and screaming at you, but that best player on the field's not a good person, as in most people don't like her or him, or most people don't like the coach, they won't step up for you. Mm. Because I actually don't like you or trust you anyway. You've mm. not treated me that well. So I don't believe the message because I don't believe the messenger. And so your kids that you're dealing with at school – if they see you girls as high performers, because you're, and they do, because you're representing in teams, you're constantly out doing stuff, and you're busting yourselves up to do what they actually love as well. So you get, you know, you break your knee playing footy, or you've had knee operations this year, did you playing for for the Reds? But they see you doing it, then they're more likely to believe you when you go, this is how you're going to do it as well, yeah. as opposed to, and you've all seen coaches like this who might have played good footy back in the day, but they're overweight, they're not that healthy. And then they're telling you, you need to go and do extras. And you look at them thinking, dude, are you kidding? Or you've got that, you've probably all had a player in a team somewhere that's not a good person. They are a good athlete. They've got a lot of natural skill, but they're not a good person. And they Mm. put people down. They're negative around other people. And it's all about they want to look good. Winning in a team is about me looking good in that team. When the team starts to struggle and they realise they can't do it on their own and they start abusing people, or even if they try and be motivational, you're just like, whatever, mate. Because you don't like them as a person. I think it's the same for in any environment you're in. One thing I love about this place is everyone walks their talk. Everyone is trying to be better. No one gets, no one takes feedback. And when I talk about this place, I'm talking about Project 180, obviously, where we run everything from. Um, no one takes it personal. So we just had a coach in here um, having a chat to me from one of the Q Cup teams. He was at the Broncos for a lot of years. He played for the Storm and he played for Newcastle. And he said, I just want to have a quick chat to Jaden at the end of when he's leaving here about the last 20 minutes or 15 minutes of a game against the Sunshine Coast where they were winning by 20 points and then Jaden took himself to full back and kind of switched off. 
And he just went and said to him, the storm, you're not allowed to do that. You've got to play for 80 minutes. So you're going to the storm next year. You're not going to get away with that. And he said, you know, I want to tell Jaden that. And I said, you can tell him because he'll take the feedback. He doesn't, That's how we are. Mm. And so, and I like that as opposed to, oh, do I say that to him or is he going to hate me now? And that's not how we operate here. And that's not how, like, I can be a little bit brutal with feedback to people. And I think, I know, maybe you've experienced that at some point. But the intention is always good. The intention is always, I want to make you the best version of you possible. I don't think I'm always right, but I'm going to always tell you what I think in a positive way. You can trust the message because you trust the messenger. So, yeah, people have to walk their talk. Don't tell people to do something if you're not willing to do it yourself. And I think that feedback is sometimes, you know, because that's been said before in here and I've gone out and I've had a look at, you know, you start becoming so much more observant of other people. There's a lot of coaches and teachers out there who expect a lot of people but wouldn't do it themselves. Don't and you, it. Yeah. you see, You see the kids, you see players just completely just you see them disregard them but i've seen average teachers and average coaches as in maybe skill technical skill wise who you would you would go to war for mm. you would literally die for when you believe in them and you think they believe in you and yet some of the most technical coaches or the most gifted athletes who don't become good coaches because you don't feel the same about or i'm sure it's the same with teaching like all of these leadership roles are heavy responsibilities that allow you to change people's lives. But how can you do that if you're not being the best version of you? Like how can you do that if you're not living and breathing this stuff? Go and do the extras, do the extra, go to bed early, get a good sleep, uh, make sure you do this right, and then you're the exact opposite to that. doesn't make sense. I had a tennis coach. I worked with all these kids in Toowoomba years ago. He was so overweight, and the kids used to all joke about the back of his car because he'd sometimes give them lists, would have like 10 Maccas packets in there and stuff. And yet he's dealing with fairly high-level athletes telling him what, and he was giving him fitness advice. I'll take tennis advice off him because he knew how to play tennis, but don't give me fitness advice. <laughs> so like, honestly, you know, you don't need someone like that guiding you because the kids aren't stupid. Mm. They want to eat Maccas too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you are. So. <laughs> Is there any more sort of more takeaways, I guess, going forward now? because um, the next AL camp will be in December, hopefully. So we're going to do a five-day, and I haven't really talked to you girls about that, but we're going to do a five-day in December, and the idea is for it to have multi-pitch uh, adventures. So not every adventure is going to be as hard as climbing the mountain. There will be a water adventure. There might be abseiling. Or everyone's challenged by different things. You'll find a kid that loves the water but hates heights or a kid that loves heights but hates the water or whatever. We're all going to have a thing occasionally you'll have someone that's well-rounded but the idea is that we want to give them something challenging to do each day and I haven't worked out what all those activities will be and I don't tell people in advance typically anyway but for example we had a company contact us a couple of days ago that runs teaches kids to drive off-road and they've got a license and a property out of Boona to teach kids from as young as 10 and, I th- and they've offered to give us a half day of that I reckon that'd be pretty cool so get, imagine 10, 11, 12, even at 14 or 15, out driving a car with instructors that can put you through that safely. That's an experience. Mm, and you'll remember the first time you drive a car, you're as nervous as hell. <laughs> um, so I don't know, there could be, we could add something like that in. Yeah. Um, we could add in some more talks, but daily, just in front of the group. Give them two or three challenging questions, like those life lessons we were doing. Um, we could do stuff like that and give them challenges to get up and talk in front of the group. Uh, I, I haven't worked out exactly what I want it to look like but the idea is that they get so much out of 48 hours what could they get out of four or five days four or five days with their phones turned off four or five days where they're going to get uncomfortable and that becomes okay for them because they know that that's normal Mm -hmm. but also they know they're in a safe environment because the first thing what do we tell them is about our number one value is respect respect for us which I always say we'll demand that of you respect for the other people because I cannot handle bullying or even if it's done in jest, and then respect for yourself, how you represent yourself. So I think over five days, that could be really powerful. And I thought kids have to do a level one, or but now I think any kids can come on that because they can get absorbed. What we learnt off the Marsden girls is when other kids come into a world of theirs and they've experienced us so they know the level we want, then all the I think that's why the level lifted so quick on this one because there was nearly half the group that had already experienced us. And so therefore they knew the level they come in at, they're not uncertain... So I think you could have new kids come and do the five-day as well. One yeah. day I'd like to run a five-day where parents come. Yeah, that would be amazing. But they don't just observe. They have to do their bit. Yeah, 100%. Hey, if the kid gets up and speaks, guess what you'll be doing? You know. And I think that they would get a lot out of that. And I've had this experience where I've taken mums and dads and teenagers to Kokoda 
10 days in the jungle. The first two or three days, the kid is as far away from mum and dad as possible. And so they'll sit right away from them because they're embarrassed by them or whatever. And then what I've always noticed is that you will listen to your 14, 15, 16-year-old talk to other adults and you think, oh, wow, they're actually quite worldly. They're quite mature because you probably only see them as a 10-year-old that we see them as. But then I also see that the kids start to see mum and dad, say, in their 40s, doing this hard thing every day that the kid's finding hard and going, oh, wow, mum and dad's actually more capable than I thought because all they see them in is that authoritarian role. Or And then by the end of the trip, typically the last two or three days, I see them come back together and they start walking together, talking together, and they've learnt to appreciate each other in a different way. My kid's not a little kid anymore. My mum and dad aren't as lame as I thought they were and we come together. So maybe that could be done in a less expensive model because obviously overseas trips are expensive or impossible at the moment. But maybe in a five-day camp we could do that one day, take parents away. And, and my idea if I do that would be to segregate them. So for maybe a half a day here and there, all the parents come out with me and all the girls go out with you girls. And then we swap them over or bring them back together or then talk about what did you experience today. And I reckon that would be cool. Yeah, that would be unreal. Anyway, that's I'm a dreamer. Because that's what I loved about Ayala and especially towards the end. So obviously the kids go out and they learn these awesome life lessons. And then I loved coming back here. And then parents are invited to come back and sit down and listen to their kids and listen to what they learnt. But I think that's really important for the parents to do that because then they get to hear the perspective from children and what they take out of it and then even hearing from Glenn and now these kids can go home and they can potentially teach their parents something or the parents can learn something off Glenn so it's it'll be really interesting to see what happens when they leave here and how mm. they use all of that information that they've just taken out of that. Mm. You raised a good point before off air, Vani, but that if you were to come and say into a sporting team or into rugby Australia and do this, it can't be at the start of the year and then think that that lesson lasts all year because it doesn't. I think it's the same with these kids. I think you can't think this is a one and done. We get so many parents will go, particularly for the first two weeks afterwards, oh my God, they're like a different child. But eventually everyone surrounding them is the same and they go back to, you know, we, we find our status quo. So I think they need to be come back and do these things on a semi-regular basis and eventually one day hopefully parents experience enough of it to say, well, if I embody some of these lessons learnt, then it's going to be easier for the kid to maintain these lessons learnt and that's how it changes. I think that's how you do it with a sporting team. If you want true success in a sporting team, you do a, a big impact 18-hour, whatever, 24-hour event and then every month or every two or three weeks you come back for an hour and just spend with them and they call that a psychological hook. You've built a psychological hook in the first 24 hours and then you just keep attaching back into that hook. And that can be the 1% difference in a game over just ball skills, as an example. Or with kids, that can be the 1% change when they go back to school, they're surrounded by the same kids, they fall back into the same habits, but if they've got a regular touch point. If I was to run, and we've talked about this with you guys off here, if I was to run a program at a school as big as Mars and with 3,000 kids, uh, of course, you're not going to f- solve all of their problems, but you're going to solve a lot of problems mm. by constantly going back. So say a reintegration for kids who are suspended all the time. What happens now in nearly all the schools I've spoken to, kids come back from a suspension, they go and have a, an hour with a counsellor to talk about how they're going to go back to school, they go back into school, they're kind of almost slapped on the back because they're a bit of a, you know, a bit of a legend for that happening and within a week or two they're back suspended as opposed to what if there was this consistent life skills program that kept re-embedding the benefit to you if you start to change things is this, mm. as opposed to right now they feel like you're just trying to keep them quieter so that it's better for the school. Yeah. What if it was better for you? you know, that's People, again, we go back to the core human need of significance. People have to feel like they matter. And a lot of those kids don't feel like they matter. And, and we've all been there. I don't know if you guys have, but I was there at that age. So, yeah, I think it can't be a one and done. Even yeah. for parents, you don't think that this is a solution. To me, this is one tool in your toolbox of solutions. Definitely. What about you, Dij? Any takeaways? Um, well, it was a bit hard to kind of gel with the girls coming in right at the end. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next one I get to experience the whole thing. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, I had a great time. I think for me it was definitely the girls, seeing the Mars and girls just to finish off knowing that they'd done that consistent work mm. and then seeing the change in them and just their ability to, you know, even though they didn't know some of the other girls um, and they just were really welcoming and kind and considerate. And then, you know, most of those girls come from backgrounds which are, you know, they're tough. They're pretty tough, mm. yeah. And so they, you wouldn't know with the energy they bring and um, 
how open they were to learning, you know, as sassy and hilarious as they are, you know, it, they'd never not do something. It's probably the lesson for them, though. They've got every right to be victims. Mm. And the world would understand if they wanted to be victims. And we're trying to teach them that you don't have to be a victim. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And I think that was my biggest takeaway was just that consistent message. If I can get more kids sort of coming in and doing these things over a long period of time, then they can then end up, you know, they want to come back in now all the time. They want to come and help run them. We've got some beautiful messages off the Marsden girls, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, And, you know, you don't expect them to say thank you or or to feel like you've done something for them, but they all do, which is pretty cool. Mm. Any other takeaways from you, Vans? Um, No, I learn a lot on that trip like I said earlier like sometimes I feel quite naive to the fact that I am a role model because I still feel so young within myself um so it was really cool for me to step out of that comfort zone and you know really help these girls learn some new boundaries that they didn't know that they could overcome you still look young can I tell you that story <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't told you guys the story so Britt comes up to me and said uh after I did my intros, I didn't know who Varney was. She said, so I come in and I thought she was a participant. I thought she was one of the Marston girls. And so she goes up to Varney and says, oh, so you're here for the camp? And Varney says, yeah, I'm here for the camp. And she said, then when you get up and you start talking and going, oh, yeah, she's a dual Olympian, Olympic gobbler. She's going, oh, my God. I thought she was a school student from Marston. Oh, my God. I'll take that. I'm very young these days. Once you start getting, like, you know, in back into your thirties, if anyone goes, "Oh, really? We thought you were this age, or we thought you were younger," that you're like, you can just stay around for as long as you like. Keep you know what it is that. for you girls? It's the injuries of your sport. <laughs> and actually, when we did a potty, you and I, Vani, on the Building Better Humans project, you were saying people go, "Oh, but you're only 26." But 26 in a contact sport like that isn't 26. <laughs> it's not how you feel all the time. So people go, "Oh, you, you, no. you, you got another 10 years in you." And you go, "What?" <laughs> and they look at you so dumbfounded, like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah. I'm like, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, for me, I just want to say thanks, obviously, Morgs, for doing this potty, but also for all you girls for helping out. Like, everyone talks about me, but the program can't be what it is without you girls getting involved. And so, yeah, it's good fun having high performers wanting to actually make a difference to other people. Yeah, and I think if we can keep coming together and sort of having these conversations – um, either you know in the Building Better Humans podcast and or Challenge or whatever podcast it is, it's just so much more beneficial for us. And then, like we were talking about a few weeks ago, like the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like the more we can keep doing this, the more hopefully we open up to listeners to understand that you need personal development, kids need personal development, and it's always going to be a learning progress, and you're never going to be successful at it. Kaizen. Kaizen. I'll be keen. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to the Challenge Hair podcast with Morgan Tioka. Follow, rate and share to help empower and educate young women.